it was the voice I recognized. He was Hercules, or he was Hades in Hercules, the Disney okay. film. I'm not familiar uh, with that and, one. Oh, you, you should. Well, I don't know if you should see it. There's lots of mixed reception, but as a five year old, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> this is episode 50 of the Movie Bite podcast, where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, July for, uh, 3rd. Not 1st, I wrote 3rd in my script. Today is Wednesday, <laughs> July 3rd, 2013, and I am your host, TJ. And so, this is our first episode without Joe. Uh, uh-huh. Joe has left us, and I am joined today by Chad Hopkins. How are you, Chad? I am doing great today, TJ. Chad, uh, you've been a listener for a while, and uh, I've, I've been following your work. You do some work over there at chadlikesmovies.com. Do I have that URL correct? Yes, Yes, that is right. And, uh, you know, you've actually written a couple of reviews for us now uh, today. So, uh, yes, Dante in the chat room, We Joe is no longer with us on a permanent basis. He'll be back on the show from time to time, but... Um, he, he has left the show uh, just due to he's got so many things going on that he needed to find a little more time to deal with. So uh, the search has been on for a co-host replacement. Chad, I've had um, a couple of people drop out now. You're the first person who's actually stuck with me. Uh, I've, I've had um, – uh, well, I'll just say I had two people lined up, and each of them have dropped out just due to various different reasons. I, I, I'm start, I was starting to think I wasn't wearing deodorant or something. I <laughs> So, uh, but I'm, I'm definitely committed to keeping the show going. And just to introduce you, Chad, I have a little theme song for you that I think you'll appreciate. Okay. Oh, I appreciate it already. <laughs> Folks, give a good, warm welcome to Chad Hopkins. He, uh, the reason I'm playing this is because he really is uh, into and excited about Back to the Future. And when we did our Back to the Future episode, he joined us live in the chat room and contributed in that way and so uh, obviously this is uh, the power of love uh, of back to the future fame so a uh, fun fact today's actually the 28th anniversary to the day that back to the future first came out in theaters nice nice yeah so good timing yeah excellent so on on the uh would you say the 28th Yes. Yeah. On the 28th anniversary of Back to the Future, we have a uh, Back to the Future guy who's, uh, you know, you're, you're like the advocate of, of Back to the Future. Like they should be paying you for, for the uh, for, for the promotional that you give to Back to the Future. Yeah, they probably should. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, Chad, just tell us, what would you like to divulge about yourself to our listeners? Are okay. you gonna? You can remain the mysterious guy behind the scenes, or you can you can divulge a little little bit about yourself to us. Um, I don't have too many secrets. Um, I a few. Emma, just a few. I mean, you've never seen me and Batman in the same room, have you? So exactly, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm a college student. I am studying music education. I play the French horn and I sing a bit too. Um, my eventual goal is to be a high school band director. Um, but obviously on the side, I, I enjoy movies quite a bit. I started my website, chadlikesmovies.com, about around the same time that Movie Bite got started. And you uh, shared one of my early soundtrack reviews for The Born Legacy, and that's how I found you. And okay. since then, uh, I've followed you with interest, and we've sort of interacted, and I'm just excited to be a part of it now. Cool. Awesome. Well, I do have a little bit of uh, – uh, oh, I forgot to paste the other link in the uh, in the chat room, and I'll put it in the show notes, uh, chadlikesmovies.com, uh, and I'll put that in the show notes so you can you can kind of catch up with Chad and see what he's up to over there. 
Um, I did want to mention that Joe did write a little bit uh, about why he had to leave the podcast. He wasn't uh, he wasn't he didn't spell it out too much, but I, he said he'd like to write a little something, and he's he's going to be having a more active role in our uh, our podcast movieology that Eric uh, Rauch and Michael Minkoff do over there, and they haven't done one in a couple of months, and that's just because uh, things have been a little crazy for them and for Joe, and Joe usually orchestrates, but he's going to be taking a more active role in that, and that'll give him the flexibility that he needs right now in his personal life. So um, I already miss Joe. Uh, no offense to you, Chad. It's just I'm, I am, you know, Joe, <laughs> no Joe's been my right-hand man uh, at Movie Bite. So, and then I wrote a little something too, uh, which I'll put into the show notes uh, about uh, the changing of the guard here on the podcast. So by the way, the show notes for this episode will be at moviebite.com slash mbpodcast slash 50, because this is our 50th episode. So, um, it is now time for a, a new feature. Have you have you gotten caught up? You said you were behind. Have you gotten caught up on the podcast at all? I've listened to the past couple of episodes. There's still a few before that that I have to catch up on. Yeah, but, I mean, don't feel uh, obligated. I just, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, it's just me. It's no big deal, I, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we've started a new feature in the last two episodes on uh, the Movie Byte podcast called Trailer Byte is what I've been trying to call it. Um, and that's cool. where we run down a few of the uh, recent trailers that have come out and talk a little bit about them. So let's dive into that. In a world. In a world. In a world. So this week, uh, the trailers of interest and, and movie clips are Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters International trailer, Johnny Depp Under Arrest, and the Lone Ranger clip have uh, three different items on Pacific Rim. Uh, it's, it hasn't been tracking too well in its numbers, and so there's also a trailer and two clips. We get to go behind the scenes, and there is trailer number three for Pacific Rim. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Season 5 Blu-ray trailer, uh, the Wolverine featurette, uh, a Turbo Theatrical Trailer 2, the Mortal Instruments sneak peek with uh, Lily Collins, uh, who is an actress in that film, uh, or actor, I guess, as it's more correct to say these days, uh, and she introduces the uh, trailer. So that's those are the, those are the trailers that we have. Uh, so first up, of course, Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters. Uh, Chad, love to, love to get your thoughts on uh, what, what you think about uh, this upcoming film. Well, honestly, I haven't seen the first one, and I've never read the books. Uh, it's not something that's interested me too much. But one thing I have noticed about the marketing for this film is I saw a poster at the theater yesterday that said something about in demigods we trust, and that sort of irked me just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Being, being a Christian like you, I mean, uh, I don't know if it irritated you at all, but— I hadn't seen uh, that. I don't know if I'd seen yeah, that exact I, phrase. That, that phrasing— Oh, go ahead. That, that phrasing certainly a little bit troubling to me, but uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't. My understanding, I mean, my wife has read the books. I haven't read the books. I'm, my understanding is that that that's not really the whole thrust of the of the franchise. So I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I mean, I, I I don't know a lot about this. Um, I might go see the fir uh, the first movie before I see this one. If I end up seeing this one at all, uh, if we talk about it, sure, then I'll, I'll go see it. Yeah. It's not something I'm super interested in. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit. Uh, the trailers have certainly piqued my curiosity um, because I'm a I'm a big fantasy buff. Like I uh, I love the Harry Potter series. Um, oh, me too. I'm um, yeah yeah we've interacted on that, haven't we? A little bit uh, with mm -hmm. uh, some Facebook conversation and stuff about Harry Potter. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I love Harry Potter. Uh, what are some of the other fantasy things I like? Um, I like a, a, quite a bit of sci-fi slash fantasy. I don't usually like hard sci-fi. Uh, I like more like sci-fi fantasy. 
uh, I would classify Stargate uh, SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis as such shows that I'm interested in in those in that genre. Uh, that is that kind of gives you an idea of where I'm at. Um, yeah, I mean Percy Jackson certainly. The, the trailers look interesting. I haven't seen the first one. Um, I, I believe I received it for Christmas or for my birthday or something on DVD. So I should watch the first one so I'm prepared for this one. But uh, yeah, same here. Usually I play a clip from the trailer. I should do that. I learned that the gods of Olympus are real. Sometimes they have children with humans called half-bloods. We're pretty much like anyone else you'd meet, but with a few notable differences. That's from the trailer for Percy Jackson Sea of Mon- Monsters International trailer. So I'm I'm kind of interested to see what uh, you know what 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 comes about um, to address the Dante in the in the chat room. Yeah, I I got the impression that the first film was kind of childish. Not necessarily the book series though. Like I said, my wife was uh, into the books. I haven't actually read the books, so um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Okay, the Lone Ranger, uh, and in this clip, Johnny Depp is under arrest. Um, man, I, I just... Uh, I think Johnny Depp needs to take a break. I think so, too. Hey, hold it right there. This this just feels like... I mean, I have to take you in. Just even listen to it. It just sounds like pirates. Yeah, I was about to say that. That sounds uh, just like Hans Zimmer's score for hear me? the third one. Speak English, don't you? <laughs> I mean, it, it, okay, I'll admit, it looks a little bit funny. Uh, certainly, Johnny Depp's humor is going to be present. Definitely. But, I, uh, man, I'm not excited about this film at all. Not at all. Oh, me neither. I mean, I'll probably see it just because uh, I've, I've heard mixed things just sort of glancing around Twitter. I try to avoid r- reviews usually before I see a film because uh, I like to go in open-minded. But this one... it. I don't know. I, like I said, I think Johnny Depp needs to take a good long break, especially him and Tim Burton t- uh, together. Oh, but I, yeah, I, I know this yeah, isn't yeah. a Tim Burton film, but Johnny Depp needs to take a break from the same usual Johnny Depp type character that he always plays. Yeah, I mean, it's starting to look like he only has the one uh, the one way to be or the one way to act or, or whatever. I don't know. Right. I mean, and he's he's a talented actor. I I loved him in the very first Pirates, and sure, the next couple were decent too. But now I think John, uh, Jack Sparrow and even Johnny Depp as a character has become more of a too much of a good thing kind of uh, situation. Yeah, yeah. It's like he can't do anything else. So right, you know, and and this just looks like Pirates of the Caribbean in a different setting. I mean, frankly, you know, I, right. I don't know. We'll see. So next up is Pacific Rim. Um, there were actually three items. We got a trailer and two clips uh, behind the scenes of Pacific Rim and trailer number three, uh, theatrical trailer number three for Pacific Rim. Um, the thing the thing is, uh, the reason that you're starting to see even a lot more of, of the Pacific Rim stuff is because it has not been tracking well. Uh, people have not been that excited about it. You, certainly, I, I was not interested at all in this film with the first marketing materials. It, it really felt like it was about blow them up you know robots are gonna you know crash ships around and there's really not a lot of human element or plot to it and i think they've they've changed direction on the marketing a little bit they've really started to show hey there may be a story here um you know there's a little more something to this than what you were thinking you know you might want to pay attention um so i'm I'm a little more interested for sure um for sure yeah Something that caught me uh, with the early trailers was the use of Ellen McLean as Gladys. Oh, I, that, that uh, was yeah. I did find that interesting, uh, I, or, or I, maybe just more fun rather than interesting. Same here. Um, 
the earlier trailers made it look a little bit like a large-scale Transformers, which, Precisely. of course, that's not very exciting. No, but, no, no. I, I don't but, know about you. I can't stand the Transformers franchise, the Michael Bay Transformers. I, I just hate me it. Me neither. I, I hate it. I think the first one was bearable because I thought it was something that was interesting and hadn't really been done to that effect before. But I had no interest in seeing the second two. Um, but now, the Pacific Rim, what I think is going to be interesting about it now is watching it pay homage to Godzilla and other uh, monster films from that sort of genre and combine them with these giant robots. And who knows, maybe we'll get something good out of it. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. I, I, I'm still a little bit skeptical, but they've certainly changed their tone of the marketing. Uh, they've, they've certainly, I think, maybe realized, hey, people are not responding well to this crash em up stuff. Took me a while to find you. What do you want? I need a pilot and your fighting skills. I'm guessing that wasn't your first choice. I'm a big believer in second chances. So you can see, just even from the sound clip, that uh, there's a little more human element involved there than what we've seen before. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'll definitely see it for sure. And I'm, I may, I might, I'm not sure yet. Uh, Moises, if you're listening, I'm, I'm hoping uh, we may have a guest uh, to come on and talk about Pacific Rim. Moises, uh, uh, I don't even know if I can say your last name right. Moises Chuyan, <laughs> uh, he, he, he has a podcast called Screen Time on 5x5. Five five. So we'll see if we can get him lined up. And he's, I know he's pretty busy, but would love to have him on to talk about that. So I'll definitely be seeing the film, at least just for that. Uh, this is not a, a movie trailer, but it is a trailer. Star Trek The Next Generation Season 5, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. So, uh, I'm looking for Ambassador Spock. You have found him, Captain Picard. This is for the uh, Blu-ray for season five. They've been completely remastering this TV show from the original 35 millimeter negative. They've been using the original uh, effects um, from from the from from the film stock that they filmed the effects over blue screen and the, you know the models and all that stuff. So I'm pretty excited. I've been pretty excited and pretty happy with what I've been seeing. Uh, they've been redoing effects where necessary, of course, uh, if they don't hold up in HD. But um, are you by any chance a big Star Trek fan? I have a confession. I haven't seen any of the Star Trek TV shows except for maybe the first three episodes of the original series. It's on oh. my Netflix queue. Oh. Both, I, I know, <laughs> maybe over the course of the next month or two, I'll, I'll get into it. it. It's definitely on my to-watch list. I just haven't gotten around to it. Well, here's the thing to know for Star Trek The Next Generation. Seasons one and two are pretty awful. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're pretty bad. And... and, and they kind of made some changes. I think they realized kind of, wow, we're, we're not doing so hot and we need to make some changes. And season three really had a lot of great episodes. Season four was okay. Season five, again, had a lot of great episodes. See, and, and, and even season six and seven had some great episodes. So, uh, you know, seasons one and two are necessary because they do follow up on some storylines later on, uh, but they're not the best. But definitely, I recommend the biggest problem, you know, with seasons one and two was the quality as well of the DVD transfers and stuff originally just weren't great. Uh, I've watched a few of the remastered HD episodes and they do look incredible. So um, very mm-hmm. excited about this. So highly it's very cool that they're getting this sort of revamp into Blu-ray and uh, remastering. I, I wish there were more TV shows that sort of went through this process. Yeah, and and I kind of I think it speaks to the longevity of Star Trek. I mean, even though it kind of went through a lull for a couple of years, and now we're back with a completely rebooted series of of movies. Anyway, um, there's there's definitely a lot of longevity in the TV shows. I think, especially from Next Generation, Deep Space Nine is pretty good. Uh, Star Trek Voyager, decent. 
Star Trek Enterprise, meh, you know. But but still, I mean, Star Trek Next Generation is is my favorite all around uh, Star Trek TV show. So definitely excited about this. All right, the Wolverine, a featurette. I uh, I put this in the show notes or in the show outline. I don't remember what it was about. Hang on a second. I'm trying to play it. Okay. Uh, it is not playing. That's interesting. Is my I know my internet's in the out because I'm still talking to you. Here we go. <laughs> Samurai legend and in samurai terminology, a ronin is a samurai without a cause, without a purpose. Wolverine is the ultimate outsider, and in our movie, which takes place after X Men Three, he's probably more isolated than you've ever seen Wolverine. You're not a- okay. I can't remember what it's about now, and you know, it's it's uh, the the idea is interesting. The first Wolverine movie didn't receive great reviews. I didn't hate it, but it wasn't great. You know, uh, mm-hmm. did you see the first one? Uh, confession number two of the podcast. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the X-Men films. You are dead to me. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing you got to know. Uh, this is great because usually it's me who's confessing to Joe that I haven't seen something. He'll be like, dude, TJ, man, you're killing me. Uh, so this is great. This is a turnaround. Um, here's the thing to know about the X-Men franchise. X-Men, the, the first X-Men film, uh, was a great film directed by Brian Singer. Loved it. Loved it dearly. X-Men 2 was even better. I really liked X-Men 2. But then Brian Singer went off to do Superman Returns, and, and my understanding, I mean, we, who knows what kind of negotiations happen behind closed doors, but my understanding was he said, well, I'll be glad to make X-Men 3 when I get off of Superman Returns. And I said, well, we can't wait that long as they hired Brett Ratner, and he destroyed the franchise. Completely right. ruined it with X-Men 3. Terrible. One of the worst films in existence. <laughs> uh, I, I'm overstating my case, but it, it's a pretty terrible film. Uh, so now they're trying to revitalize the franchise in different ways. Where do you go after the the bomb that was X-Men 3? I mean, personally, I'd like to see them repeal it and, uh-huh. and, and right. remake it. <laughs> but um, that that is probably not going to happen. So they've done the prequel thing, and now they're finding new ways to – I mean, you, you know, you've got X-Men First Class coming up, which is um, kind of a melding of – like they're going to have the characters playing them younger, but they're also going to have the older – versions of the characters i'm not quite sure what the plot of that is going to be yet but it is also directed by brian singer so hopefully it'll be good um I've, li- I've always liked his work on x-men and in the wolverine I, I like i said i didn't like hate the first wolverine film where it really told his origin story but i didn't didn't think it was great either and and this one i'm a little more excited about but at the same time it's like well i don't know is it just mostly about wolverine and his claws i i don't know <laughs> we'll see we'll see We'll see, definitely. Uh, and I guess I was going to ask for your opinion, but I guess you don't really have much of one. Have you seen the trailer? I have seen the trailer. And to be honest, I, I, I like the idea of Wolverine. I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, just the sort of aesthetic that I'm familiar with. But this film looks strange to me. Uh, it doesn't seem like a story that I'm interested in, but a, a like I've said, I, I don't have any sort of rapport with the series. So, I mean, it's on my to-watch list. Yeah, um, I once would, I watch through those, maybe I'll have a different opinion on the trailer. I would definitely recommend watching X1 and X2 um, before you watch Wolverine, for sure. Um, I, I don't know to what extent it's going to be necessary to have watched the first uh, Wolverine film to, in order to understand this. Uh, it might be necessary. I don't know. 
But I would definitely recommend X1 and X2, and uh, yes, X3 is probably going to be necessary <laughs> to the franchise. Because to answer Ben's question in the chat room, the Wolverine does fall after X3. Um, it is going to follow up on those events. I don't think we're going to get too many cameos from other characters except for – um, obviously, we see in the trailer Jean Grey's uh, cameo because she's in his dreams. Uh, and obviously, they had a thing, uh, you know, in the first three films. And, you know, this is this is a spoiler for X3. I'm sorry, but, you know, it's public knowledge is out there, you know, with, with Jean Grey having died, this kind of haunting, um, you know, uh, Logan. So, um, yeah, I'm, you know, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. We'll see where this goes. Let's move on to the Turbo Theatrical Trailer number two, which I'm trying to pull up to play a sound clip of, and it's not coming up. So uh, we're sorry. We're experiencing technical difficulties. Please try again in a few minutes. Love Flash. No, I don't. Okay. It, it was. I didn't have a YouTube trailer available, so I embedded a Flash one, and it's just not coming up. So, have you seen the latest theatrical trailer for Turbo? Oh, I have, and I just don't know how this movie is getting made. I don't either. I don't either. I I, I don't see how somebody could still have a job after creating this film. <laughs> I mean, and maybe, you haven't even seen it yet. I, I know. I mean, maybe I'm being overly skeptical, but DreamWorks has made some great quality film. That Shrek one and two were very good. Of course, um, yes. Their um, original stuff is usually good, but yes, and this is this is kind of original, but it doesn't look good. Yes, and but, so I mean, oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, we are judging it too on a trailer, and 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 uh, what was the film I saw earlier that I I thought the trailers were so lackluster? Oh, it was Epic, and I was completely blown away with how good that was. Really, I haven't seen Epic yet. Oh, highly recommended. Great film. Awesome. Okay, film. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um. Oh, and, and uh, Ben is saying in the chat room, well, this is something I reported on actually earlier. Uh, DreamWorks has worked out a content deal with Netflix, so it's not just Turbo, but he's saying they ordered a TV series based on Turbo. They're, we're going to see many TV series based on different films. I, I wouldn't hold that against any net film necessarily um, because Netflix and, and DreamWorks have worked out a content deal. In fact, I'm kind of excited about it because I want to see Netflix getting more original content. Is, Definitely. Is, yeah, to, to kind of break the mold of what we're seeing in, in, in the TV world. So, uh, yeah, I've been trying studiously to pull up this trailer and it's not coming. So can't play a clip for you. Sorry. But, um, yeah, not, not really interested. I'll probably see it just so I can have a, an informed opinion about the film, but so far not, not really doing anything for me. Here's one that's interesting and that's the mortal instruments, uh, City of Bones. Uh, let me play. Uh, this one will actually play a clip, I think. Hi, I'm Lily Collins. Check out this exclusive sneak peek of my new movie, The Mortal Instruments City of Bones, opening everywhere in theaters August 21st. A little bit too much reverb there. Bye, Mom. We're going out. You make sure you come straight home tonight. Mom, why? Every day you live your life. You know, your mom, she gets like this sometimes. Ordinary, normal. But there's only so long you can hide from... So, the, uh... I've said this several times, and so I sound like a broken record, but it, I think it really applies. This looks so much to me like a cross between uh, Buffy and Twilight. <laughs> have, have you seen hmm. the trailer? I have. Um, it looks interesting for sure. Um, yeah, I'm definitely interested. I just don't know how good it's going to be. I, you know, I don't yeah. know. The acting in the in the trailer looks just a tad sketchy here and there. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for it right now. The, uh, I I don't recognize a composer. I mean, you know, I, I look at the soundtracks. Of course, that's the first thing you look at, few, right? Right. I do see a few familiar names in the cast. Um, 
Lily Collins, Jamie Campbell Bauer. The only one that I recognized was Jared Harris. Uh, and really? he's, he's, he doesn't have very high billing. So I think he like, like we may have seen the extent that he's in the trailer. I mean that he's in the film already in the trailer. It may be just a bit part, but uh, oh. I do like Jared Harris. He's been in several episodes of Fringe. Uh, he was um, Professor Moriarty in uh, the latest Sherlock Holmes with the Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah, like him, like him a lot. So Me that too. that's but that's the only name I recognized. But that's not necessarily bad. I mean, you, you sometimes get really good films come out with no name actors. So right. Um, yeah, I mean, frankly, personally, I'd I'd rather see like if, as long as it looks similar to a Buffy thing, I'd rather see a Buffy movie with 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 the real Buffy, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, uh-huh. And uh, by the way, can did you watch Buffy by any chance? I did not. That's another. That's on my list. My Netflix queue <sighs> oh, is really long. Why am I doing a podcast with you? <laughs> um, for, for those in the audience who do know what Buffy is, can you believe Sarah Michelle Geller is 36 years old this year? It's crazy. It's crazy. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, Buffy was a pretty great series. It had, had its problems from a Christian perspective for sure, but, uh, you know, it's a gr- pretty great fan- fantasy series in a lot of ways. And I, I just, I'd rather, I mean, like, can I give Joss Whedon some money? Can we make this Buffy movie happen? <laughs> so anyway, that is Trailer Bite. Uh, and we probably need to keep marching on. Uh, so let's see here. Pixar has promised more original stories, which is Thank great. Goodness. Yeah, great news to me. I mean, I, I, I don't mind the sequels, but it felt like their their original stories were languishing. And I'm going back, taking stock in my head, going, you know, maybe that's an unfair accusation. Maybe it's just a... Uh, Maybe it's just a perception because how many sequels have they really made? I mean, they have announced, you know, uh, Finding Nemo or Finding Dory, which is a sequel to Finding Nemo. Um, they did Cars 2 and they did Toy Story 3, but they've interweaved some originals in there. It's just maybe I think the originals like um, a Brave wasn't wasn't great, you know? No, it wasn't. So um, maybe that's the perception. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, every – Every creative company is going to hit a wall sometimes, right? I mean, right. you can forgive the occasional thing, but this was two in a row. This was Cars 2 and Brave. So we've been kind of worried about Pixar. I have. Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, I, I don't mind sequels as long as they're good sequels. And I generally trust Pixar to do that, but I don't think the first Cars really merited a sequel in the first place. Mm. Uh, if I'm not overly fond of the original Cars, and I mean Cars Two was enjoyable for what it was, but yeah. it, it it I don't think it should have been made. It was John Lasseter's baby, though, and so I mean it, it went through. But Brave, as far as original content goes, wasn't up to Pixar's par. No, definitely not, um, and. Uh you know, cars, cars, I enjoyed cars. I, I, I liked it a lot, but you're right. I don't think there was a need for a sequel or warrant for the sequel. What I want to know is why we haven't seen a sequel to the Incredibles yet, man, that right. if, if any, if any of Pixar's properties deserve a sequel, it's that one. I agree. And it would be easy to do a sequel for that one, but I have read quotes from Brad Bird who wrote and directed, uh, the first one. Mm-hmm. He says he's definitely willing to come back. It's just, finding the time to to uh, write a good story that's worth telling and making the film everything that it should be. And I, I, I can appreciate that. I just, it, it's going to be strange when we get a sequel however many years after the first one came out. The first one came out in 04, and so we're already coming up on the 10-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy that it's been 10 years? It's hard to believe, for sure. 
Um, wait, looks at when is the 10 year anniversary? Cause I saw that film in theaters. It would have been, it, uh, it'll be next year, 2014. That makes sense because I've been married for eight years and I know that, uh, Rachel and I were not married yet when I first saw it, uh, with her in the theater. Uh, so, uh, that's about right. Interesting. Wow. I had, wow. <laughs> Time flies. <Yeah. laughs> it does. I was 12. Crazy, crazy. All right. So <laughs> Pixar, but, but, uh, Ed Catmull over there has promised, um, more original stories and less sequels. So that's that's a good thing in my opinion, as long as they're good original stories. Definitely. Um, Peter Jackson is talking about an extended Hobbit film. No, no, really. He's, I mean, he, <laughs> here's the thing. I thought we had the extended Hobbit film. We saw it in the theater. Um, it, it, it was long, and he, he it was, I mean, he already divided this thing into three parts instead of two because he had already had so much material. And then he didn't like, like this thing was like two hours and 45 minutes if I remember right. And, and yet, and, and yet he's going for an extended edition. This just, this just reeks to me of someone who can't wield the uh, editing knife very well anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it seems strange to me. I've read all three Lord of the Rings books and the, hobbit uh so i mean I, I know the source material um it i look back and i see that he made three films for three books and now he's making three films for one shorter book which and while i did enjoy the first hobbit it was a little bit too long and i don't see what more could be put into it yeah why I, mean, I, I don't remember if i used this word when we talked about it on the podcast uh last december but the word the first word that comes to mind when i think of the hobbit film is flabby that thing is uh-huh. got flab everywhere that needed to be trimmed. And I mean, I look, I know that I look at films a little bit differently than most people because I am an editor and I go, what are, what, why wasn't that trimmed? Why wasn't that cut? Why is it still in the film? You know? Right. <laughs> um, so it, it kind of bothers me. And, and it's like, well, what do you mean we're getting an extended edition? You already put that one in the theater, buddy. <laughs> so anyway, but Jermaine Lucier over at Slash Film ha- is reporting that uh, we will have an extended edition. And uh, Peter Jackson even runs down a few of the things that we'll see more of. So uh, there you go. That's yeah. for whatever that's worth. Peter Jackson is talking about an extended edition of The Hobbit. Have you seen, are you familiar with, have you read the books for um, uh, The Hunger Games? Yes, I have. I sat down and read all three in three days last year before nice. the first movie came out. Nice. I, I listen to, as I consume most books these days because I'm so busy, uh, and at the time when I, when I read these, uh, quote unquote, read these books, um, I had a commute, uh, a more regular commute. I had a, a nine to five job. And so I listened to them on my way to and from work on audiobook, and uh, I, I really, frankly, enjoyed them a lot. I, I felt Me like too. the series as a whole could have ended better than it did, but. Right. For the most part, I enjoyed them, and I really, really, really enjoyed The Hunger Games, the first film. Me too. Um, now, uh, so that's leading up to this news that Julianne Moore has been cast to play P- President Coyne in Mockingjay, the upcoming film. I, I can't think of a better casting choice, frankly. I mean, that, that just seems perfect. I'm not entirely familiar with julianne moore but she looks sort of how i pictured the character well that's one uh, thing so i guess sure. that's a plus and, and uh, yeah it, I, i've not seen her in too much but uh just knowing the little bit that i've seen her that yeah i mean she seems perfect to play coin so she's um, got quite the filmography yeah let, let me uh what, 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 what kind of stuff has she been in i meant to have that list in front of me and i don't have it um she was in crazy stupid love which i believe got decent reviews the kids are all right which of course had annette benning winning best actress i believe 
um, Children of Men by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, those are the big ones that I, I notice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking through the list here. I know I've seen her in something, but I don't Let's see. Oh, of course. Hannibal. Yes. And she was in one of the uh, Jurassic Park films, but I don't like to pretend the second two exist. <laughs> the Lost World Jurassic Park as Sarah Harding. Yeah, so I, I haven't seen her in much, but I just know from what I know of her, it just seems oh, it just seems like a perfect choice. So and, it and, does seem to fit. And despite some issues that I did have with the first film, um, namely uh, the director's choice to take it so shaky cam all the time, rather than waiting and holding that back until he got into the arena, which I felt uh-huh. like then it would have been more appropriate. But that, that you know that's my critique of filmmaking there, um, getting into inside baseball. Um, we did an episode on that. Go listen to it. Um, but despite that, I really did enjoy the film. Uh, enjoyed the oh man, the film score was amazing by James Horner and and oh just, yes, uh, uh, James Newton Howard. No, James Newton Howard. I'm sorry, I get I don't know, I James, <laughs> James. They both have the name James. James Newton Howard and and just as important to me. And you don't pick this up when just listening to the soundtrack in iTunes or whatever. But just as important to me was the times he chose not to score. Uh, as the times that he did choose to score. It was very powerful. Um, so anyway, uh, very excited to see where this franchise is going. And I'm kind of hoping actually that they can improve on what I felt were some of the weaknesses of the book. So, um, and I feel like they've already taken some steps in that direction with the first film. So it, yes. it'll, it'll be interesting to see. What else have we got here? Liam Neeson is willing to star in Taken 3 for a large sum of money. I mean, I don't blame him, but I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to take in three. I don't, don't want it. Do not want. Go away. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't seen the first two. I, 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 uh, I, I wouldn't call that a confession but no, because I don't not. think it's as big. But, I mean, uh, I've heard good things about at least the first one, and but, I don't think the second one was supposed to be that bad. But I don't know. I know no. you didn't like it, TJ, did you? Uh, the, the second one, no. Neither Joe nor I like the second one at all. Um, the first one was pretty good. I I was amazed at how good it was because I was I went into it. I I think I rented it on iTunes on my Apple TV just so I could catch up with the franchise before the, before the second one came out. And I wasn't expecting it to be any good, and I was blown away just by how good it actually was. Um, and and you know at the time I hadn't watched any Lost, so I didn't even know who Maggie Grace was. So that wasn't an issue for me whether she was any good or not. Um, and I thought I thought that the um, I thought the first film was great. Second film, no, it wasn't good at all. And the third, I'm, I'm, so where can they go with Taken? I mean, in fact, Liam Neeson is on record saying I don't think there will be a Taken three. I mean, how many times can she be taken? You know, and how many times can <laughs> I be taken? And, and it just doesn't make any sense. At some point, it just means that I'm a bad father. You know, my character is a bad father. <laughs> so um, I'm kind of yeah. with him. Like, what are we going to see in a Taken three? And he did say, for the record. Um, well, let me just read a little bit here. This is from Angie Han on Slash Film. Uh, shortly before the l- release of Taken 2, star Liam Neeson sounded deeply skeptical skeptical about the prospect of Taken 3. I don't think it's going to happen, he shrugged. I can't see a possible scenario where audiences wouldn't go, oh, come on, she's taken again? But for an <laughs> eight-figure salary, he's apparently willing to keep an open mind. Uh Taken three, uh, for Taken 3, Deadline reports that Neeson will earn something in the vicinity of $20 million. To put things in perspective, that's just $5 million less than the entire production budget of the first film. Still, the franchise's continuing popularity will make that high price tag worth it. The first film grossed $226 million. The second one did even better at $376 million. Oh, come on. What, what, is, <laughs> what, what is up with that? So, uh, For the uh, record, I'd be pretty open-minded, too, if somebody was giving me eight figures. 
Uh, well, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not <laughs> blaming Neeson. That, that, that's right, fine. Right. But I, I agree. I don't think this film needs to happen. Yeah, but but so here's okay. So here's going on. No plot details have been revealed yet. Although contrary to Neeson's fears, Cayman has said they'll shake up the formula for the third film. We've taken everyone we can take. It's going to go in another direction. He revealed last year. Um, so what what direction are they going to go with a film named Taken? I don't get it. I'm not sure. <laughs> and 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 okay, I I really kind of think maybe I'm wrong. I think maybe some of the attraction to the film was for young males interested in Maggie Grace. <laughs> I, I don't know. Could could be something to that. Maybe I don't know. So uh, so if if the plot doesn't revolve around her, then you might lose that audience. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> Anyway, we'll see. We got to get you caught up on some films, man. Oh, for sure. I've got a list. All right. One more uh, bit of uh, uh, news before we move into our reviews. uh, And that is that uh, speaking of, we'll be getting to a review of a Roland Emmerich film uh, here in a little bit. But uh, Roland, one of Roland Emmerich's other films is upcoming is Independence Day 2 and and Goldblum, Goldblum and Pullman are confirmed. Uh, Although Will Smith will not be returning to Independence Day sequel. Wasn't a fan of Independence Day, so whatever. <laughs> did you see Independence Day? I did not, um, but I did like White House Down, as uh, as we'll talk about. But, yeah, uh, it, um, it wasn't great. We'll see. It wasn't great. So, uh, all right, we'll talk about that when we get to it. So that that's that's the deal. Is Independence Day two is happening? Goldblum and Pullman are in. Will Smith is out. So uh, we're going to talk about two kind of sort of apocalyptic movies today, um, and uh, it's interesting because there's kind of lots of apocalyptic-themed movies this summer, or or certainly whether they're directly apocalyptic or just like, man, everything's getting blown up and, and stuff that you wouldn't expect to happen, such as the White House being blown up. You have – right. you got Oblivion, After Earth, Pacific Rim, This is the End, Elysium, uh, World War Z, Olympus Has Fallen, and White House Down. I mean it's a huge list of apocalyptic-type films. I mean – I'm not quite sure what – like everybody got together and said uh, we need – I mean maybe it was all the stuff leading up to – you know, and it's kind of left over from the whole angst about 2012 and the Mayan predictions and stuff. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Possibly. I don't know. It seems like Hunger Games might have sort of kick-started some of this. That's seen how maybe. well it did. Yeah, maybe. Maybe uh, so. Sort of taking that young adult audience into a more adult setting. Maybe that's what's fueling it. I'm not sure. I am not in the industry, so I can't really speak officially on that. But it seems to be a trend that I've noticed since Hunger Games. Yeah, and I'm not in the industry either. I mean, I'm an indie filmmaker, so I have no idea of the internal workings of Hollywood. So, um, I, yeah, it's just weird, though. Like everybody just, just and especially two White House movies in the same year. And, right. and at some point, people are saying, oh, well, he's following up on, on Olympus Has Fallen, and so he was obviously as like a thing. He's like, oh, uh, me too. But I don't think that's it because these were these are so close together that they probably weren't aware of each other's existence when they started making the films. Yeah, probably not. So I, I, it's, it's just kind of weird though. So um, anyway, so the two, the two films we'll be reviewing today are World War Z and White House Down. So we'll start off and we'll kick off with World War Z. Um Corey Poff wrote our uh, an initial review and our the quote unquote uh, official review for uh, Movie Bite, uh, which you can catch in the show notes. And then Chad, you also wrote a review and you sent it over to me. I said, "Well, I'll go ahead and publish this one as an article because in the CMS I can I can uh, note which are articles and which are, are reviews, and it treats them differently." And I said, "Well, I'll run this as an article." And oh, by the way, also this you know Chad had a review, so. You read a review as well, and those will both be in the show notes for World War Z. 
and you both liked the film better than I did, uh, although I, I liked it well enough. Yes. Um, but just some uh, – oh, uh, this is related to World War Z. I have here in the show outline World War Z endings, and uh, I just want to point out that I'm glad that the ending that they've listed here on the playlist is um, the original ending got scrubbed, and they went with the new ending because that's actually the best part of the film. So um, mm. I'll put that in the show notes as well. We'll be talking more about that in a minute. So World War Z opened in theaters on June 21st, 2013. It had a budget, a whopping budget of $190 million. Uh, opening weekend, though, it brought in $66.4 million, and the total worldwide gross right now is $263.4 million. So I'd call that a, uh, a pretty good success. Some, yeah. some measures of understanding uh, like to say that a film really needs to make two and a half times its production budget in order to really break even for the studios once you factor in the marketing and, and, and things like that and the theater shares, of course, uh, because you know the gross does not factor in uh, the theater that's running it, the, the cut for the theater that's running it. So, um, you know, so 190 times uh, 2.5 is uh, 475, so it really need to bring in 475 in order to break even by by that way of thinking. I don't know if that holds true for every single film, and it's something I just recently became aware of. This is something that Laramie Legal over at uh, um, Film.com wrote about. So who knows whether how accurate that number is, two and a half times its production budget, but um, it's interesting to note. So by that measure, it's not there yet. Um, so critically, uh, the critical acclaim from Rotten Tomatoes is that it's uneven and diverges from the source book, but World War Z still brings smart, fast-moving thrills and a solid performance from Brad Pitt to the zombie genre, directed by Mark Forster, and writers uh, are Matthew Michael Carnahan, Drew Goddard, and Damon Lindelof, who my understanding is Damon came in and uh, rewrote and, and reworked the ending of the film. So. Hmm. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the uh, storyline of World War Z? Um, it's it's about a, uh, a guy who's with his family in Philadelphia when uh, zombies start attacking. Uh, there's some sort of outbreak, some sort of virus that just starts taking over the city. And as they escape, they realize that this is worldwide. There's something that's just broken out and is just taking over the human race. And there's not really a safe place to to be. And... So Brad Pitt's character, Jerry Lane, goes out and he is recruited by the United Nations to go investigate and try and find patient zero so that they can find a cure. Yeah, is that okay? That, that's pretty good. Um, cool. That works for me. That and Yeah, I mean that's essentially what it is. So it's not an overly complicated plot. I, I didn't find the plot to be uh, – you know, very, uh, it was all very intuitive and very simple and easy to follow. And that's not always necessarily a bad thing. You know, you, you want your plots to be smart and you want them to kind of sometimes to hit you over the head with something you hadn't seen coming. This one really didn't do that. I think everything was pretty predictable, but that's, that. it doesn't always have to be unpredictable. So, um, I was fine with it as far as that goes. I do have to wonder what was up. There was like 250 logos that came up before the film. Like, I noticed that too. I'm okay with one or two, but goodness sakes, I, it seemed like I sat there for at least three minutes before I got to see the film. You know, watching the funniest the logos. part to me. The funniest part was that it showed all the logos, and then as the opening credits started going, it showed all the companies that were involved again, yeah. just without the logos. It showed the nice. text in the opening credits, and so I mean, we 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 were it was reinforced about three times that. This was a blah, blah, blah production, and it was uh, produced at this place, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I noticed that, too. 
Yeah, it was kind of nuts. I I didn't understand what they were what they were trying to accomplish there, except to uh, anger their audience. It's kind of weird. Um, as I've noted, the last act feels very different. It feels like a different film, uh, and it gives us a better look at the zombies. I kept wanting more more of a look at the zombies throughout the film, and finally, in that last act, in the third act, we really got it. And there, the, the zombies and the idea of the zombies are much more fleshed out. I really kind of wish that the uh, first two acts of the film had been more like the third act, at least in some ways. So, um, and, and but but the reason for that, as I mentioned uh, when we started talking about World War Z a couple of minutes ago, is that the end was rewritten after. I mean, the entire end of the film, the film was finished. It went to test audiences, and it didn't do well with test audiences. And the studio had its concerns, and they brought in Damon Lindelof to rewrite the ending. Uh, and then they re- reshot the entire end, which really, I, I'm sure, ballooned that budget up to 190. Uh, I don't know what the original budget was, but mm-hmm. uh, that I think that really hurt them on the budget. Re- I mean, reshooting a whole act of a film is crazy. Yeah, and I think that's it's, why it feels so tonally different than the first two acts of the film. It's interesting that this film went through a rewrite of the ending because you, you know, if you've read my review, then you saw that I compared it to to the the I Am Legend, the yes, 2007 film, which did the same that, thing. It did the exact same thing. Uh, the the original ending, which was more uh, follow along the lines of the ending of the book written by Richard Matheson, uh, and the audience didn't like it either, and so they ended up doing the same sort of thing. So interesting comparison, since I made that comparison in my review. Yeah, no, it was definitely an interesting comparison, and you know, I hadn't uh, like you. I, I didn't even realize this. Um, you said in the uh, original I Am Legend, the book, uh, right? It was a book, right? Um, yes. It, it, they were supposed to be vampires, which I hadn't I they didn't were. know that. And w- were they supposed to be zombies in the movie or just like – I didn't get that impression, but I'm not really familiar with zombies, so – I'm not either. I don't know what they call them. I don't know if they called them zombies in the film. They never did in the film, but I don't know how they're listed in the credits or by people talking about the film, but – I, I definitely saw lots of similarities between the zombies, quote unquote, in this film and the creatures, whatever they are in I Am Legend. Yeah, there was a I, – I hadn't thought of that until you mentioned it in your in your article, but it's amazing the comparisons that hold up. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I, was, I was interested to read that because that was definitely an interesting and apt comparison. Uh, another general note here that I have is that there's no blood, hardly any blood. Uh, people tend to die off screen. They get tend to get bitten off screen. Uh, this, this makes the PG-13 rating very noticeable in that way. But at the same time, I, you know what? That's okay. And I, I, I like a, I have a confession to make. As long as it's not for um, rated R for sexuality or pervasive nudity, I don't mind the occasional R-rated film. Uh, you know, I kind of like to sit through a good R-rated film. <laughs> you know, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, the, it, I didn't mind it though because I don't want every single film that I watch to be R-rated for its violence. Um, right. And and so that that was fine. Um, and and you know, the fact is that PG-13 films they simply make more money uh, than R-rated films. I was actually as I was preparing for the podcast, I was looking through the list of of movies this summer and seeing that the majority of them, a large majority of them are PG-13, not PG. There's a, there's hardly any PG movies. There's a couple of G movies, you know, you got your Monsters University, um you've got uh, you know, other films kind of like that that are in the G uh, category and then you've got PG-13 and very very few PG movies. Epic was a PG, uh which I don't even know why it was. It seemed like it should have been G. But anyway, yeah. so um th- that's that's the deal, and uh, 
Now, my other final general note uh, before we get into our likes and dislikes is that I, I you know, this film kind of wanted to wasn't sure whether it wanted to be a contagion film or a zombie film. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, do you have do you have anything generally you want to talk about before we dive into the likes and dislikes? Um, no, I generally agree with what you've said. Um, I, I will say that I walked into this film kind of with lots of disdain. I, I wasn't interested. The trailers didn't make it look interesting to me. I don't care for the zombie genre. And I walked out and I was very pleasantly surprised. It's definitely not your run of the mill zombie film for sure. No, and, not and, at and all. I'm with you. I don't care for the zombie genre. I, I, well, I've said it different times. I'm kind of ambivalent toward it. I don't like it or dislike it. Um, but I, I think the more that I, I've said that, not knowing a lot about zombie films and, and, but at the same time as I think about it, I think I have seen, you know, bits and pieces of zombie films and, you know, your typical zombie horror thing doesn't, doesn't appeal to me. But if zombies right. are like this, this is fine. I, I don't mind this, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's not your run of the mill zombie film. And, uh, Brad Pitt certainly did a phenomenal job. I agree. And, and I really liked Brad Pitt in this film. Yeah. Despite the fact that you have the tonal inconsistency between the last third and the first two thirds of the film, it, it doesn't affect it that much and and then when you and it's not to the point where you say oh wow they i can so i can see a distinct line where they where they rewrote the film it's not like that like you wouldn't know it unless you knew it and the only you know you, you just think oh wow they kind of hmm, they kind of botched up the or they kind of botched something up there and it feels totally different you don't you don't feel like the whole thing has just been rewritten so right. um you know what what did you what did you like about this film um I agree with a lot of what you have here. Um, looking through my review, I'm I'm sorry I didn't write down these likes and dislikes before, no, um, but I, I really did like how the characters were presented. I, I I felt like I cared about them. I felt like the sense of family was very strong, and uh, it I, I cared when Brad Pitt's character had to leave his family to go fight. I I, I cared when uh, different characters were killed or weren't killed or were rescued. Uh, yeah. I just thought that the film did a really good job of presenting its char uh, characters in a likable way. And then Brad Pitt's character showed care toward other characters, even though he didn't know them. So like the Sagan character, uh, I, I don't know. He just cared a lot for people. And I really liked that. Yeah. And I definitely liked the whole Sagan arc. That was one thing that I actually wrote down is, um, mm -hmm. That he, you know, most people in his position, and and maybe even if I trying to trying to, you know, you sometimes try to put yourself in the shoes of of the extraordinary circumstances, kind of hard because I've you know never been anything like that. But if you were charged with the task of finding a cure for this thing, and and there's Sagan, and she just got bit, would you stop and take the time? And you don't even really know her. Would it, you know you've just been with her for like five minutes, you know, during this whole thing in Israel? Would you take the time to try and make sure that she doesn't get infected? And would you would you take her with you and try to make sure that she makes it? And I don't know if I would have that presence of mind. Not not that I would, you know, if I thought of it, like yeah, definitely. But my thinking immediately would have been she's become a liability, gone. And and you know, Brad Pitt's character uh, Jerry Lane didn't didn't do that. He. Uh, you, you know, it's kind of kind of uh, one of those moments that makes you cringe. There were several times, of course, it's a zombie film, but there were several times during the film where I, you, you know, I don't know if you do this thing where uh, you're kind of sitting in your seat and all of a sudden you realize you, your, your feet are like pushing really hard against the floor and you're kind of pushing yourself back in your chair <laughs> going, Argh. you know, right. that, that's the sort of thing where when she's bitten by the zombie and his, his, his he reacts almost immediately 
and and you know cuts off her arm to make sure that doesn't spread like you would do um I, I had a friend who used to live in Belize and um he he said I didn't know the guy but he told me the story where this guy there, there apparently there's this really poisonous snake in Belize and uh-huh. uh you die like within 60 seconds of being bitten and uh so this guy got bit on the arm and he was he was out whacking weeds with a machete and he took the machete and he chopped off his arm and he got really really sick but he lived so that's the kind of thing we're dealing with here is, oh, the idea is you cut off the arm and the venom doesn't spread, whatever it is that right. makes you turn into a zombie. And I thought that was really great. I really, uh, you know, as much as it made me cringe, it was a great plot device. It was really right. good. I agree. And, and Sagan became, uh, you know, it's been pointed out. I listened to the Slash film cast and they point out, well, you know, she never really went anywhere. Well, I kind of disagree. I mean, you know, she wasn't like essential, but she went on to be important. Like she, she helped with the finding of how to avert the complete apocalypse of the human race, you know. Uh-huh. So I, I really enjoyed the Sagan character. She was good. good. Me too. So other things that I liked, um, I, I actually, uh, I've already mentioned the tonal inconsistency. I really liked the end, the last act of the film. Uh, I felt like it was the rewrite was much for the better, and, and it was the best part of the film by by far, you know, by huge leaps uh-huh. and bounds. Because during the first couple of, you know, first two acts of the film, I, I kept wondering, uh, are we going to go anywhere? What's going on? I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I just I felt a little bit bored sometimes. Which is not. I can a, see that. Yeah, which is not a good feeling when you're sitting in the theater and you've paid, you know, fifteen or eighteen bucks, or you know, depending on if you saw a matinee or if you saw it on the weekend or whatever, um, right. or ten bucks. Uh, and, and so it's not a good feeling to be bored during the film. So. Uh, I, but I did enjoy that third act really kind of woke me up and said, Oh, we, we, we've got a good story here. Um, and as you said, I really cared about the characters. I cared what happened, especially to Jerry, but also to his family. I I really cared about what happened to his family. I was really upset and disappointed with the, uh, military removing them after they thought that, uh, Jerry had died. Um, right. I, I was mildly upset and disliked, uh, uh, his wife, uh, uh, Karen, right? It was Karen. I was, that mild- sounds right. I was mildly upset and disliked her. No, you know what? I think I'm getting confused. Uh, I think that's a different character. Anyway, whatever his wife's name was, I was mildly upset with her that she was like, well, you, you can't go and you can't find a cure for the zombies as if this wouldn't ultimately affect everyone. If he, if a cure wasn't found, like, yeah, you two can be together with, with the kids until the zombies find you too. And that's what he's trying to prevent. <laughs> you know right <laughs> so i was mildly annoyed with her at that but other than that i thought that everything was great family wise um so one thing that we'll get into when we get to the review of white house down is i'm 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 tired i'm kind of tired of this whole infighting between the good guys uh you've got in white house down we'll get to this but you've got you know your your um one branch of the military who's kind of uh, an opposition and fighting against what the Secret Service is trying to do, and you've got your, you know, you've got the vice president coming here trying to wrest control away from that. And it just it, it, this sort of thing just gets kind of old. It's like it's like every single film ever does this. And in World uh-huh. War Z, we didn't get that hardly at all. Like I don't remember any infighting between the good guys. There was not questions of oh who are you and why are you coming in here to try to do this and take over this and everybody was was working together well on the good guy side to fight against the zombies. The the bad guy is the contagion or whatever it is that's making people zombies. 
Right. So, and I, I, I like that. A lot was refreshing. It was refreshing. Um, there was one other thing that I really liked. Uh, I liked the attention to detail. There, there was one point while watching the film where I noticed that they were carrying some big framed portraits uh, or pictures uh, uh, that I assumed were classic art. And so it was sort of the notion of, oh, we're preserving our culture just in case this thing doesn't pan out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I liked that. And there were a few other little instances like that where I noticed that they, they tweaked this or they showed this, though they didn't delve into it. It was just sort of, we're prepared for the worst and we're going to do what we can about it. Yeah, and I don't know that. It's funny what different people notice. I don't know that I noticed that, but it does sound like a great detail to have added to the film. I, I really like the idea of that. Uh, so I'm sorry I didn't notice it. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's not it's not an, and and those little touches. Uh, there were other touches as well. Um, in, in fact, uh, there's one I, I mentioned this when the trailer or there was a, actually a clip came out from the film that that featured this line of dialogue, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, in 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 the context of the film, I enjoyed it where they're they're in the plane with with this doctor who's supposed to be looking for the cure of whatever this is that's causing the zombie apocalypse and. Uh, He's he's basically telling him, uh, you know, well, if, if you know, once we get on the ground, things are going to get kind of kind of ugly, and you know, if things do get crazy, you know, just you know, try to focus on the on the boots and the thing, you know, and we'll, we'll get you to safety. But just remember, if you see something important, um, you need to draw attention to it because these guys, uh, they're hammers, and to hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> and and that's the sort of thing I, I felt like that really made this film rise a little bit above the general cacophony of summer action films. Um, I it, agree. It just had a, it had a little bit. I'm gonna make a pun. It had a little bit more brains to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, nice. the the zombies did not eat brains in this film, but I still thought it was funny. Um, but no, I I, I felt like uh, I felt like there was a little bit there to that. Uh, you know, a little bit of substance to the film for sure. Yes, the dialogue was definitely above par for this kind of film. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. So, having talked about, I mean, do you have anything else you want to mention about the that you liked about this film? No, I think that about covers it. Okay, so having talked about the likes, let's talk about what we might not have liked. Chad, the 3D for this film was terrible. You didn't see it in 3D, did you? I did not. I'm good after hearing you say that. I mean, I know your opinion on 3D in general. Yes, but, it's terrible. Uh, I'm I'm glad I didn't. Well, it, it, here's here's what happened to me. I uh, I was uh, just coming off of a big, long, twelve week project that I was working long hours for, and. I had taken a day off. We had wrapped up the project, and then I went into Franklin. Where I normally watch the uh, movies in the in, at the Carmack Thoroughbred Twenty in Franklin, and I went into Franklin and was doing some project cleanup, uh, just you know, organizing hard drive space and stuff. N details that you guys probably don't care about <laughs> as my, as the listeners. And so then uh, I was going to catch the first afternoon showing of uh, that day of uh, World War Z. I looked on Fandango. Sure enough, there it is, uh, one ten. So go eat lunch, you know, and uh, then head to the theater. So I got there and found out that I had not paid attention to Fandango saying that it was a three D showing, and I had already <laughs> waited around just a little bit, and 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 uh, so I, I said, okay, well, when is the first two D showing? Oh, well, that's not until four thirty. So it was like, well, I, I can't wait that long. I got to get home and do stuff after I see the film. So how bad can it be? So I went and saw it in 3D, and it was pretty terrible. It was completely <laughs> useless. It did not do anything for me at all. It was, yeah, it was horrible. It seems to be a trend. <laughs> well, you know, as you said, I'm not a fan of 3D. Well, well, I meant uh, for 3D films as as a whole. I mean, lots of times it doesn't add a, add anything. I mean, I'll pay for it if 
if that's the most convenient showing for me. I don't generally mind 3D. I'm pretty ambivalent. I have had a couple bad experiences with it. But in general, I don't mind 3D. But hearing you say that this was just outright terrible, I'm glad I didn't see it in 3D this time around. Yeah, I, I found it to be a frustrating experience, and I had to look around the 3D in order to see a good film. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I felt about it, was it was hindering the experience of the film, and maybe I would have rated it higher had I seen it in 2D, I don't know. Possibly. But uh, yeah, I did not like the 3D at all. And I, I really haven't even looked into it. I don't know if it was post-converted or if it was shot in 3D, I, I really don't know. So um, anyway, do you have any any dislikes you would like to tell us about? Um, it, I thought a lot about what I might have disliked about this, and if I had thought about more, if I could find more that I disliked, I wouldn't have given it a four and a half out of five rating. I don't know if I was supposed to save that, but uh, no, I, I would have rated it lower. Um, but thinking about it, I, I was just I enjoyed the whole film. There, there were a few moments that maybe were a little bit boring, didn't pan out, and looking at your dislikes. Um, it does seem like there are lots of setups that didn't pay off. And I think that's uh, probably directly related to the rewrite of the end of the film. Probably. Um, and so, I mean, other than that, I, I, the, the, the setups and payoffs issue didn't bother me too much, but I do see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, and, and like, like here's an example the, that I, of things that I have in our show outline. Uh, there was some confusion just to about how long it takes to become a zombie. He does that counting thing like that's supposed to be a thing and he counts to 12 and then that's when they become like and he could say, oh, well, it takes 12 seconds to become a zombie. But but then later in the film, there's like, well, we don't know exactly how long it takes. And he's like, well, so far it's only taken 12 seconds, but we've had we've had documented reports of it taking up to up to a minute or sometimes it takes, you know, 15 seconds or 30 seconds. And that was like like there was a line of dialogue in the film. But then later. He's like counting to 12 for Sagan, and then when she doesn't turn to a zombie in 12 seconds, well, that's it. She's not turning into a zombie. I'm like, so what? what is that? Like, that's that's confusing. That's very confusing. Yeah, it was confusing. Uh, yeah. Sorry. It was confusing. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I, I just I didn't understand. Um, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of setup and import placed on the first doctor who's looking for this cure, right, of, of – uh, of, of the plague or the disease or whatever, whatever it is trying to, trying to find a way to combat it. And there's a lot of setup for him. There's dialogue with him. He's going to be the deal. And I know that this must've seemed like an exciting plot device to kill him off. Sorry. Spoiler alert. We've already called spoilers, but, um, but at the same time, it's like, well, couldn't you have paid that off in some way? I mean, like you did all this time setting it up and then it didn't go anywhere. I don't understand what the thinking was in that. It was a shame. I really liked him, and then his death was so anticlimactic. Yeah, like I didn't even realize he had died at first. <laughs> yeah, it, it was strange. I, I don't know why they decided to go that route. It seemed like they could have made that a little bit more dramatic and put the characters who didn't die in a little bit more of a desperate situation. But this was just like, oh, well, that happened. I guess we got to figure something else out. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. So, um, and then, uh, let's see. There, there was a lot of importance placed on uh, on the line. If we can find out where this thing started, we can put a stop to it. But that never panned out. That, that they never figured out where it started. And and it, the more I think about that, the more it's like, wh- why does that even make any sense? Who cares where it started? What? How? How does that help you? <laughs> yeah. How does that help you? I, and and I think that's what they when they came in and did the rewrite of the ending. That's what they realized is. Who cares where it started? You, right. The point now is to find a cure. <laughs> right. At least, I mean, and, and, yeah. and there's definitely room here for um, for a sequel because they didn't cure it. They've just averted more people from becoming zombies. 
and there's not a lot of people left. So, right. you know, there's definitely room in this post-apocalyptic world now for for the uh, for a sequel. So, but anyway, that, that that was just frustrating. Like, why would you place all this importance on it? And that was a big hook in the trailer, and then it didn't go anywhere. So, and then just a general filmmaking note: I'm so sick of this trend. To uh, here's how we we create action: we just shake the camera and we whip it around and jerk it around and make you all confused, and that's action. That's not action. That's just annoying. And they did uh, they did quite a bit of that in this film. I'll admit I didn't notice it this time around. I mean, I did notice it. You mentioned it in the Hunger Games earlier, and I did notice it there, and I, I've noticed it every once in a while, but I didn't notice it too much in this film, maybe because lots of it is pretty dark uh, as far as lighting goes. Yeah, and so which is another kind of annoying thing in the added yeah. to it. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it's not as bad as the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games is the worst film for that I've seen in a long time. But uh-huh. uh, it, it's definitely a trend, and it's definitely one that I don't like. And my final dislike was the tension of which, um, d- of, uh, you know, in the end of the film, he's trying to, he doesn't, he can't communicate, like, they can see him in, in that room where he's getting the disease. That he, they've, they've postulated this theory that if somebody's infected with some sort of sickness or disease, the zombies will ignore them, and this is based on evidence they've seen throughout the film, but it's still only a theory. And so he gets trapped in this room. He was going to try to find these uh, diseases and things that they have at this uh, research facility, and he gets trapped there because there's a zombie waiting for him outside of this door. And so, Another I Am Legend comparison. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's a good, good point. <laughs> and he, so they can see him on the security monitors, but he can't see or hear them. So there's no communication. And there was actually a really touching moment. I should have put this in my likes. There's a really touching moment where he, before he injects himself, he writes on this thing, you know, uh, tell my wife and family that I love them. It was very touching. And they're all sitting there worried about him. And, and, and like you said, like they've, they've are, they did do well in that we cared. Like it was a, t- a tense moment. And so they're all sitting there going, oh man, if he injects himself with a certain strain, a deadly disease or this or that or the other, I mean, it's got to be something that's not super deadly that we can cure, but, but if he doesn't, well, he's going to be dead and there's no way to communicate that to him, so we have to hope he chooses the right vial. And they've built all this tension up around that and then nothing. Then he just, you yeah. know, he injects well, himself I, with something I, I, and I guess, it works and that's it. Yeah, I guess he chose wisely. Yeah. and it, <laughs> Hooray. Never went anywhere. I mean, just like, it's like... He, he, filmmaking 101 storytelling 101 set up and payoff set ups and payoffs set ups and payoffs that's what you do set up pay off and they there were so many things they didn't pay off like that it was just frustrating yeah that that would be my main dislike for the film is that issue yep all right so you've already mentioned you give the film four and a half out of five stars you really 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 liked it i i think it was more surprise and less uh finding mistakes or issues i had with it i i I was very surprised i i i can't find a lot of problems with it as far as my taste goes yeah no Um, and and it's definitely ratings are such a subjective thing for sure right and but but you know four and a half that's almost it's nearly a perfect movie when you give it four and a half stars like the only you just found one minor irritating little flaw with the film that you couldn't overlook right is what four and a half stars is to me so yes. I, I give the film three and a half stars because, like I said, there are a few missteps. There was some missed opportunities. There was uh, you know setups with no payoffs and and those sorts of things. So I do give it three and a half out of five stars, and that's not a, that's not a, uh, a a negative rating as we've talked about many times on this podcast with Joe. Uh, that is not a negative rating for the film. That's just you know what there were some flaws. Um, so three and a half out of five stars is what I give the film. 
IMDb, uh, the uh, the uh, rating, the collected rating of the users is 7.3 out of 10 stars. They have a 10-star scale. Uh, it's still a 10-point scale just like ours. So essentially that is what? that That's about just a little over 3.5 out, out of 5 stars if you were to convert it to the 5-star scale. Right. It's about what you gave it. Right. So that's, that's about on par. So uh, the Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter with the critics is at 68%. That's still considered fresh according to their uh, their their metric. And then the the audience liked it a lot at eighty six percent. It's that's that's on the higher end of what you would see an audience usually because there's always people who hate a film and who bring the ratings down. So, um, yeah, that that's how Rotten Tomatoes rates it. And uh, you know what? My bottom line here is that I I enjoyed the film. It's worth seeing, even with some of those missteps that I mentioned. It's it's worth seeing. I don't know, like if you if you there are other films to catch in theater if you want to wait for it to come out on home video that that won't kill me if you wait. <laughs> but right, but but, it, but you know it's also a decent choice to see in theater. That, that's my bottom line. I agree. Um, I I think that if you have any remote interest in this sort of genre, or if you're sort of ambivalent to the genre like you were or like I was. Uh, I think this might be a little bit of a Kickstarter. Not not that I'm dying to go see more zombie films, but this no. did lessen the sort of disdain I had for the genre as a whole. Yep. Just a little bit. All right. We need we do need to march on. Uh, we're uh, we're an hour and eleven minutes into this thing, uh, roughly. So. Assuming we started right at three, which I don't think we did. Um, so White House Down, um, that came to theaters on June the 28th. It had a budget of $150 million. It, uh, it is bombing at the box office. It's open to uh, $24.8 million. It has only worldwide grossed so far, as of right now, uh, July the 3rd, 3rd $34.7 Ouch. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, for a budget of $150 million, they're going to lose a lot of money on this one. Uh, White House Down, uh, this is a critical acclaim from Rotten Tomatoes. White House Down benefits from Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx's sharp comedic chemistry, but director Roland Emmerich smothers it with narrative cliches and relentless choppily edited action. I do not agree with that, by the way, but that is the critical acclaim uh, for uh, White House Down. Directed by Roland Emmerich, who directed such things as Stargate and Independence Day uh, 2012. Uh, What's some of the other things that he's done? Um there was a couple more that you mentioned that I'm not calling to mind right away, but uh, Roland Emmerich. Um, um, anyway, so you know he's he's kind of known in, in some things. Uh, written by James Vanderbilt, stars Channing Tatum, Jamie Foxx, Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, Jason Clark, Richard Jenkins, Joey King, and James Woods. And the music was composed by Harold Closer and Thomas Wonder. The story is that Capitol Policeman John Cale has just been denied his dream job with the Secret Service of protecting President James Sawyer. Not wanting to let down his little girl with the news, he takes her on a tour of the White House when the complex is overtaken by a heavily armed paramilitary group. Now, with the nation's government falling into chaos and running out of time, it's up to Cale to save the president and his daughter and the country. So what, what, did, what do you have to say about this film? This was another surprise for me. Uh, I don't typically or in the past i should say i didn't go see films like this it's not i'm not all into the action genre Mm -hmm. uh summer blockbusters like this don't necessarily appeal to me but i got a hold of some pre-screening tickets uh so i went and i went with my father and i really enjoyed it i'd never seen channing tatum in a film before um i thought he did a great job yeah Um, definitely i enjoyed the film as a whole i was surprised again uh, so that's nice. I always like being surprised. Yeah, it's always good to be surprised. And here's the thing that I found is that if you 
if you sometimes if your expectations are set too high, even if the film was decent, you'll be disappointed. And, and that's that's really hard to combat, too, because and especially in our day and age with with, um, you know, movies are so hyped and so um, advertised. And, it's, and this is especially a problem for me now that I'm running Movie Bite is I have to keep up with the news. I have to watch the trailers. I have to be able to have an opinion about such things. So maybe I'll start getting hyped for a film. And it's not going to be as good as, as the hype, and so then I'm disappointed. So it's something I try to combat, and I don't even know if I have a good answer of how to combat it yet. But that is definitely a problem. White House Down, though, pretty much delivered exactly what I expected of it because um, I've been keeping an eye on it, and I've actually been kind of looking forward to it. And it's partly probably fueled by the fact that I actually liked Olympus Has Fallen, unlike a lot of people. Uh, although I think it, I think it basically broke even according to the numbers, which means that people lost money on it. Um, but, uh, I, you know, it wasn't, uh, in fact, let me, let me just look up on Rotten Tomatoes right now. What, what did Olympus has fallen? How did that rate? Because I'm, I'm remembering that it just didn't, um, it just didn't do great at the, you know, people didn't think it was that great. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I rated it uh, four out of five stars. Okay, so that on um, uh, Olympus has fallen. The tomato meter, um, the uh, critics rate it only forty seven percent, which is uh, not considered fresh. The audience, however, is at a seventy three percent. So the audiences thought it was okay. Um, I don't remember what its box office did, but uh, anyway, so Olympus has fallen preceded this film, and I enjoyed it quite a bit, which I think kind of lended itself to my looking forward to it. Um, and you know, for me, summer blockbusters are kind of hit and miss, uh, like, like some summer blockbusters I like, and some are just, you know, mindless action nonsense with no good plot. I, I don't place that one in this category. Um, I think this film actually had some decent plot devices, um, and, uh, it had some great human drama and interaction, which, um, which definitely lent it, lent itself towards my thinking higher of this film. Um, I, as I said in my review, I wrote a review for it and actually just went live today on moviebyte.com. Um, you know, what was I going to say? I hate it when that happens. <laughs> Shoot, I had it like all in my head. I'll pull up the review. It's like at the top of the review. Um, huh. No, it's gone. Oh, oh, it was that Olympus Has Fallen, I rated it four stars out of five, and I felt like this was a better film, but I didn't feel like it deserved any more than four out of five stars. So it's like, how do you deal with that? Like, I wish, like, like maybe Olympus Has Fallen should have been 3.75, and this is four? I don't know, but but we don't have a 3.75 rating, so I give them both four stars. <laughs> so, um, anyway, um, I, you know, despite the fact that we've had two White House films this year, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, of note, Roland Emmerich really likes blowing up the White House, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. He he just likes blowing up everything that's important to our culture. Yeah, I wonder if he's on like any any terror terrorist watch list or government watch list or anything. <laughs> holy cow, the guy's like got a, a he's on a he's on a roll here. A new file for every time he blows up the White House or another national monument. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. Um, I noted in my review that he, uh, in Independence Day, he blew up the White House, and in the day after tomorrow, the Statue of Liberty is flooded by tsunami and buried in snow, and in 2012, the White House is again destroyed, and now here we are. Uh, it's 2013, and uh, we have a film called White House Down, and he has again destroyed not just the White House, but the Capitol building. <laughs> I don't know what's up with this guy. Um. So, uh, you know. I 
uh, well, okay. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you, general ideas about this film, general feelings, general thoughts. I started watching the film maybe the first half hour or so trying to find what story it was telling. I mean, as far as like an undertone a sort of message, what what was this film trying to pass on to its watchers? And eventually I just exhausted myself with that and I wasn't liking it. And then I decided, well, maybe there's not that much to this. I'm not saying there's not anything to this, but maybe there's not that much. I don't need to pay that much attention. I don't need to dig that deep. And I uh, really enjoyed it. Once I sort of turned off my brain a little bit, Mm. um, I thought that it was lots of fun. I thought it was funny. I thought that the action was decent. I really liked Jamie Foxx, especially, and Channing Tatum oh, did a oh, great yeah. job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just enjoyed it. I mean, I, I definitely do see some tones. Um, you mentioned political tones in your review. Yep. Um, There's definitely I see there. those. And they're, I mean, it's about the president, and the whole thing is kicked off from a sort of speech he gives about removing people from uh, the Middle East. Uh, removing armies from the Middle East. And so, I mean, there is that sort of message to it. But I thought that the fun of the film was the more important part. Yeah, definitely. I I do think, though, speaking of the politics of the film, I think that maybe – I'm just speculating here. I'm just just spitballing, as they say. Um, I I think that maybe the reason this film isn't doing great is because it doesn't really have a good political home. Like, yes, there's the – your typical liberal agenda message in you know peace is good war is bad and i'm not saying i i'm i'm kind of a strange breed of conservative i i agree with that message <laughs> and, right. and most most conservatives these days it seems like they don't i'm starting to get a little too political here i'm going to offend people <laughs> because we have conservatives <laughs> and liberals to listen to the show but but my overall point here is i think that um this this film doesn't have a political home because it has those liberal messages you got the you know the pen is mightier than the sword and you've got the these sorts of things, but then it turns around and you've got the president, you know, blowing things up with rocket launchers and killing people with guns <laughs> and, and that, you know, people, you're, you're, for your liberal message, your, your, your liberals are not going to like that and your conservatives are not going to like the other liberal point. So I wonder if maybe because it doesn't have a good political home is why it's failing at the box office. I don't know. That's just speculation. I, I can on my agree part. with that. Yeah. So it's a little bit confused politically, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, one other general note is um, I, I have actually I've only seen two previous Roland Emmerich films, and uh, those were Stargate and Independence Day, and I did not like Independence Day. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I would probably give it like two out of five stars. Stargate, on the other hand, I, I, it wasn't great. It was a bit lackluster, but I'm thinking that's more like a three out of five stars. Um, it, it was watchable, and certainly if you're a big Stargate TV series fan like I am, you've kind of got to watch it in order to get the beginning of the plot uh, uh-huh. of which the, the series spins off. But it's not – it wasn't great. Like, I, So I don't have like, ooh, Roland Emmerich film. I'm gonna, I have to go see it. It wasn't like that for me at all. Um, so I was definitely, um, definitely surprised by how good I liked this film. Uh, yeah, I didn't given, really have any – I've only seen bits and pieces of his film before now, and uh, so I didn't really have any precedent walking in. This is what I expect from this film. Um, I mean, I, I knew the sort of history to his career, and I knew that he did have a sort of uh, tendency to blow up national monuments. <laughs> right. But uh, uh, other than that, I don't. I didn't really know anything about the director. Um, so 
that sort of contributed more to my surprise in my like of the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's talk a little about about the things that we like about this film. And and the very first thing that I'll I'll say just to start us off is that I felt like the cinematography was outstanding. Um, and that's in contrast to some of the complaints I had with World War Z. And I've already I've already touched on this. It, you know the the uh, shaky cam and the way you create action is you just shake the camera and whip it around and and, and stuff and confuse your audience. And while this film has been criticized a little bit by some critics for its editing and, and stuff, I actually enjoyed it a lot. And the cinematography, the editing, and it, the action was all followable, um, and yet there was a good sense of action. Like it wasn't like nothing was happening, but you could follow what was going on. And to me, that's the mark of a good director uh, right. in terms of action is that you can actually follow what's going on. And 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 uh, that's actually one of the things when I talk about – anytime I talk about the Bourne series of films, I like to make this comparison. Um, the first Bourne film, I thought the action was great. It was outstanding, and they didn't feel like they needed to confuse you in order to create action. The second Bourne film, that was all they did was there was no good choreography or action. They just shook the camera, and they found a happy medium in the third one, but I still like the first film's action scenes the best. Definitely. And and that's kind of like – I feel like this film, you know, it's different. It's a different style of – you know, Roland Emmerich has a different style than they took in the first Bourne film. But the, it's the similar idea is we have good choreography, we have good action, we don't need to confuse the audience with these uh, poorly executed camera shaking moves and stuff. So really enjoyed that aspect of this film that really started me out once we got to the action with a good opinion of the film. Yes. I, I really liked Joey King. Um, it oh, seems like she she's great. becoming a big name in the child actor world. Um, she was in the dark Knight rises yes, last year. She was uh, the um, young, uh, whatever the name of the girl was played by Mary, Marion Collitard. Is that how you say Cotillard. her name? Cotillard. <laughs> that sound, that does uh, sound better. Doesn't it? <laughs> I'm, yeah, so just a little bit. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. Cotillard. That's but, good. Okay. Uh, she was in that. She was in Oz the great and powerful earlier this year as oh, the China she? doll. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Of course, uh -huh. of course. And, um, let's see, looking at her Wikipedia page, she's going to be in an episode of RL Stein's a haunting hour. She's in a film called The Conjuring. Oh, The Conjuring. Yes, uh, that, that it's a new horror film that's coming out in a couple of weeks. And um, I don't know your opinion of the genre, but I, I do enjoy a good horror movie every once in a while, as long as it's not a blood and guts kind of horror film. Right. I, I don't think like I'm a, like diametrically opposed, although I didn't see anything about The Conjuring that would interest me. But right. but yeah, you're, I mean you're right. She's definitely. Uh, I mean she. In I mean I mean this in a good way. She really kind of stole the movie. I mean it was it, you know obviously it's about Channing Tatum and and uh, Jamie Fox as the president. Uh, but she was she was in the movie in a good way, and she really you know captured your attention, and uh, you really felt for her situation. And definitely, you know, I, I've heard some complaints that people felt like she was over the top. Um, I know some people have said, well, you know. How could a little girl be so you know be so aware politically and it's just kind of I mean but obviously they haven't been around any of my sisters <laughs> <you know? laughs> who um, have been very smart when they were that age I don't know and and just in general I think that that she was fine I, and I really enjoyed her portrayal of the character yeah she was very I, good she but, was very cute and this was my first experience really watching her because I mean the whole time we saw her in the Dark Knight Rises we thought she was a boy. Uh, because <laughs> true, that, true. that plot hadn't that plot device hadn't been revealed yet and, and so uh this was my first experience with her and i thought she did a great job she played the emotion very well um and she did a good job of bringing the tension to the film and the payoff with her character was really great too you know definitely i i completely agree and i, I really uh 
just the the child's delight in 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 me for her when she got to ride on the chopper with the president. You know, that right. was, it was just great. <laughs> it was a great payoff. You're right. Um, there, there was great acting in this film all the way around. I know Channing Tatum gets a bad rap. I think really he's just had some bad roles because he does really good here. He does really well. I He does. I, I cared about uh, – again, like I cared about in World War Z, what happened to Brad Pitt. I cared here to what happened to Channing Tatum. Uh, I cared about his relationship with his daughter. I could see that he was legitimately trying to turn things around. That It was obvious that he had been a screw-up and he wasn't anymore. He was trying to fix that. And he was not given the time of day by uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, um, Finnerty. Is that? Uh-huh. Um, and that was you. You're kind of like, oh man, come on. And uh, and speaking speaking of Maggie Gyllenhaal, I I mentioned this in my review. She's kind of got she she kind of got off on my bad side uh, just by nature of the role that she played in The Dark Knight Rises because that role was so well filled by Katie Holmes. I didn't. Want I agree. To, I didn't want to see Katie Holmes leave that role. And so it, immediately in my mind, she just went to a bad place. And it's not her fault. And I realize that especially now, seeing her in White House Down, how good she was. That she's a really great actress. And had she been originally cast as uh, Katie, uh, as, as Rachel, Ray, Dawes. Rachel Dawes, I would have, uh, I was about to say Katie Dawes, like it's a combination <laughs> of Katie Holmes and Rachel Dawes. If she had originally been cast as Rachel Dawes, I probably would have been just as happy. So. Um, th- th- that's to say that I really enjoyed her in this film, even even if I felt like the writing for her character wasn't as good as it could have been. Like I felt like all she did so- so at some points was like shout her opposition. <laughs> uh, but 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 she handled the role well. And then there's uh, d- have you ever watched Fringe? I haven't. I've heard good things. Oh my goodness, we have got to get you up to speed if you're going to be on this podcast. <laughs> um. So Fringe, great TV show, um, and uh, Lance Reddick played the FBI uh, boss uh, in Fringe. Great, great actor, but that's the only thing I've seen him in. And so pleasantly surprised to see him in this film and really chewing up that role as the general. Uh, and he even he even swung me around. I liked him at first, and then he basically fired Maggie Gyllenhaal's character off the case, and I and I disliked him. And then. Um, Oh, Ben says in the chat room, Fringe isn't great. It's amazing, which which I agree. But so then, so then he swung me around, and oh, I didn't like him anymore when he fired um, Gyllenhaal. <laughs> um, what? Oh, uh, Finnerty. Yes, thank you. Um, and then, um, and then he swung me back around to liking him again toward the end of the film. So just great acting, I thought. So. Yes, I thought that acting was pretty great all around. Um, I I have similar feelings toward Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, I'd like to think I'm being a little bit objective when I say I didn't like her in the dark night, right? Or the dark night. Um, though I do have the sort same sort of feeling about Katie Holmes and her being replaced. Uh, I thought she was okay in this film. She didn't blow me away, but she, mm. I didn't hate her. And so, I mean, I guess that's a, that's a, uh, a good, a good check on her list. An improvement. You're saying, yes. I, you know, I, I hated her so much in the dark night at first when I saw the film in the theater. And, uh-huh. and then I watched the film subsequently, and I think I was all—I was over the fact that Katie Holmes couldn't be in the film, and somebody had to fill the role. So I, okay, all right, somebody's got to do it. I'm, and so then I watched it with a fresh mindset, and I actually liked her. So I think it's just—I think it's just the for me at least. I can't speak for you, but anyway, she did great here. I thought so. I, I think I, th- I think I more highly of her here than you do. It sounds like. So, but anyway, just great acting all around. There was an appropriate amount of humor to uh, diffuse the tension when needed, um, and and 
you, you know, it was it, it had a, a good lightheartedness to it that, you know, even though sometimes it needed to deal with serious subject matter, there was enough. It, it wasn't over the top, you know, where some films they make so light of uh, I, I just recently saw The Heat and um, I liked it in many ways. But there was this particular scene. If you've seen The Heat, you'll know what I'm talking about where um, Sandra Bullock's character is trying to uh, prevent a man from choking to death. And that scene is just so over the top in a, such a serious situation that it just drove me nuts. It just irritated me. I never felt that in this film, but I did feel like there was enough humor to diffuse attention. So I guess what I'm saying is they achieved a really great balance here, I thought. I, I thought that this film as a whole was pretty funny. I mean, I wouldn't classify it as a comedy, of course. No. Um, but I did I, – I agree with you. It was just the right amount. I think – it didn't take itself too seriously. Yes. Uh, and sometimes you have to do that with the film. I mean, World War Z did a great job, I thought, because it did take itself seriously. Yeah. And then this film, I thought, did a ver- very good job because it didn't take itself as seriously. Uh, I and agree. so I think a film director, especially in the actors, everybody involved just needs to find that mix. Do we need to take this completely 100% seriously or don't we? And I think they found that mix right here and it was it worked really well. Yeah, did you catch the part uh, during the tour where the guy goes, this would be the part that they blew up in Independence Day? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. That was great, you know, because obviously it's Roland Emmerich's film, Independence Day. That's the sort of thing that just, you know, that's the sort of humor we're dealing with. It was just just right, you know. So um, I liked also that this was not, like in Olympus Has Fallen, I didn't knock it for using the Koreans. But at the same time, there was Koreans in Olympus Has Fallen, right? I'm not losing my mind. I'm having second thoughts I about myself here. I haven't seen it. I think it is the – anyway, I, but there was not like Koreans or Arabs or somebody from the Middle East. It was actually people from within uh, that that were the terrorists, and and I thought that was a good a, – a nice thing to do. I They weren't leaning on a crutch, so to speak. It's so easy to, to – you know, and I'm not trying to be like politically correct or whatever, but I, I think sometimes we like, oh, well, they're from another you know race, another nation, therefore evil. Well, not necessarily – and so I was right. I was glad that they didn't lean on that crutch here. I, I appreciated that. I think it's nice when films acknowledge that terrorists aren't restricted to one race. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so bringing them from home actually made it hit home a little bit more, I thought. Uh, yeah. These were people in the country who were disgruntled with what was happening and going on, so they took it into their own hands. Yeah, and I think it's it's actually very relevant too with everything that's been going on lately. I I haven't been paying too close of attention to it, but I do know, of course, you know, you've got this whole thing with the NSA spying on people, and 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 you know, um, I it it's probably has a little bit more relevance even than maybe they were thinking or expecting when they started making the film. So, um, yeah, I thought it was good. And did you have anything else you liked about the film? Um, I think that about covers it. I'm. I, I, oh, I really liked Jason Clark. He was the oh, head yes. terrorist. Yes. Uh, he's been in a few films this year, too. I mean, I, I'd never heard of him before, Zero Dark Thirty, and since then I've seen him in three films now. Yeah, uh, I need to see Zero All within the last year. I haven't seen it. It was okay. I, I, I didn't think it was as great as everybody made it out to be. Um, but it, it was good for what it was, and he did a good, good job in it. But he always seems to play this manic sort of character yes. who's well, he, out to get people. I think he's got the face for it and, and just the, the acting chops for sure. The crazy eyes. Yeah, it's the crazy eyes. You're right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, one more character I didn't put in the, sh- in the notes. I'm glad I remembered it. Um, uh, Skip Tyler. I, I really enjoyed him as, as the hacker. He was, yes. he was funny. He was wacky. Yes, wacky and funny and, and uh, deranged and all that. So don't, don't, don't touch his toys. <laughs> 
Um, okay. So for my dislikes for this film, I felt like the motivation for Walker, who was basically the lead bad guy who orchestrated everything. He was the secret service guy. I felt like that was a little weak. Um, I, I didn't, it wasn't a logical conclusion to, uh, to his story that he would go, okay, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to turn on my country. I'm going to blow up the white house. I'm going to kidnap and kill the president and I'm going to steal his nuclear launch codes. I didn't, it wasn't, it didn't make any sense to me that he would do that. It, it, I, I guess it's, that. it's a conceit of the film. You kind of have to say, oh, that's, that's this film's conceit. You just got to go with it. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I did like James Woods in the role. Um, sure. It, it was funny. The whole film, I was thinking, okay, where do I know this guy from? Where do I know this guy from? But And I kept trying to picture a face from another film, and I couldn't find it. And I finally looked it up once I got out of the film, and it was the voice I recognized. He was Hercules, or he was Hades in Hercules, the okay. Disney film. I'm not familiar uh, with that and, one. Oh, you, you should, well, I don't know if you should see it. There's lots of mixed reception, but as a five-year-old, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but James Woods, I thought he did a good job, but I do agree that the motivation was just a little bit stretched. Uh, there were multiple things hitting him. There was the death of his son, which he sort of blames on the president. And then there was, what, what was it? Cancer? Is, is that what he had? I, well, it was a tumor, I think in a, a tumor, brain yes. tumor, I believe. Yes. And so, I mean, he was getting hit from multiple directions. And, uh, while I can't, necessarily speak from his perspective because i wasn't head of defense or whatever his position was um but it does seem just a little bit over the top a a little bit of an overreaction to what's going on yeah now um i i did um i did like the twist even though i don't necessarily care for the uh the infighting and the oh well this branch of the government wants to take over because this branch of the government didn't do its job right and then you know you got lance reddick firing Maggie gillenhall I'm sorry, I'm using the actors' names because I don't remember the characters' names. But um, anyway, so, uh, you, you know, you've got all that. So I don't necessarily care for that, but I did kind of like the plot twist. You, I, I actually didn't see this coming. Maybe I'm just stupid, but uh, where – and this is a spoiler alert for uh, for White House Down. But at the very end of the film, when you find out that the Speaker of the House has been manipulating this behind the scenes the whole time – and then when you look back and you think back to a few things, you go, oh, well, that actually makes a lot of sense, but you didn't see it coming. You, in fact, I even wondered – at one point I wondered about the vice president because he was so quick to want to try to swear himself into office and enact the 25th Amendment, blah, 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 which by I the agree. way, is that uh, – is the 25th Amendment a thing? I've not heard of it before. But I, I don't know. I'm searching it right now. There you go. 25th Amendment to the United States. I mean it sounded plausible. I'm I'm showing my ignorance of the uh, recent amendments. I think when was the 25th enacted? Yes, it's a thing. Uh, 1967. 1967. Yeah, the 25th Amendment to the United States Constitution deals with the succession to the presidency and establishes procedures both for filling a vacancy in the office of the vice president of the vice president as well as responding to presidential disabilities. It supersedes the ambiguous wording of Article Two, Section One, Clause Six of the Constitution, which does not expressly state whether the vice president becomes the president as opposed to an acting president. If the president dies, resigns, is removed from office, or is otherwise unable to discharge the powers of the presidency, the Twenty Fifth Amendment was adopted February twenty third, nineteen sixty seven. So it's terrible. I'm I'm very sorry. I should know my constitution and the amendments better. <laughs> so, but anyway, I hear your phone ringing. Yes, it is going off. There it goes. All right. Well, we we will try not to. I will try not to. Uh, you know, punish you too heavily for for that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Uh-huh. All right, so uh, what else do I have here? Um, 
the, the there's a bit of a tonal inconsistency. I've alluded to this, but uh, between the peace preaching and the, as I put in quotes, a wanton violence. I don't know if wanton is the right word, but but the, there's the, the peace preaching, right? Which is, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. And then that same pen, when he's holding up saying the pen is mightier than the sword, is then used to stab the bad guy. I mean, <laughs> um, which message were you trying to send us, Mr. Emmerich? And, and I know which one he obviously was trying to send us because he's known for his uh, political leanings and and i so i know which way he's leaning but at the same time the film is inconsistent in its message like um okay Uh, which which message are you trying to give us that we should defend our country and that we should you know that the president should shoot people if they're invading the white house which i didn't have a problem with personally but or or are you really trying to tell us the pen is mightier than the sword i mean which which one is it i i you know so there's a bit tonal inconsistency there and it didn't stop me from enjoying the film but it does bring the marks down for me a bit I thought it was a little bit of an, uh, some nice irony. I mean, obviously the, the yeah. president is in favor of the peace. Um, but then watching him, as you mentioned, pull out a rocket launcher and fire it, <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was a good twist. It, it, it was funny the way they pulled it off. I, I can understand, uh, the tonal inconsistency that you're talking about. And if you're looking at the political undertones, which I know you are, and it's important to look at those, I, I can see where you're coming from. But I thought the irony was, amusing no i did i did enjoy the irony but i just thought felt like the inconsistency of it was a bit odd what's like which message are you trying to send us so right and then um some of emily's antics they're a bit unrealistic like do you really think i know she's a hyper aware 11 or 12 year old or however old she is Uh, i think the actress is 14 so maybe she's supposed to be 14 i I don't know anyway i i realize that she's like hyper aware politically and and motivated and she has this video blog youtube channel that she wants to get the footage for or whatever but do you really think that she wouldn't be so scared that she would just be hiding and shaking behind a curtain instead of actually jump getting out and filming things i i don't know that was just a little bit unreal realistic for me i agree yep and then uh oh i've already mentioned this one i'm sort of tired of the infighting between the different branches of government that's a story that's been told many 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 times so those are the things that i disliked what have you got um i i mentioned earlier that the first 30 minutes or so were just a little bit not that great for me i although i do attribute some of that to me trying to delve too much into it too early on um i do think that some of it just seemed a little bit too convenient at times. I mean, the bad guys got in so easily and sure they're, uh, they're, uh, they had people on the inside to begin well, with who were instigating all that's of That's exactly what I was going to say is they have an inside right, right. guy. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense, but getting past security measures, I still think it seemed a little bit over the top, but I mean, this is a summer blockbuster action film and it's not supposed to be entirely realistic. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I hear you for sure. But I, for me, I was actually surprised just at how much for a summer blockbuster, how much story and heart and drama there was to the film. Oh, I agree completely on that. So, uh, and I, you know, I definitely like films that are motivated motivated by characters and by people as much as or more than the action. And you know, this film was heavy on the action, but you know, it was also heavy on the on the people and the drama. So I I appreciated that about it. Anything else we want to say about this film? I think that about wraps it up. All right. Uh, so I give it four out of five stars, and that appears to be what you're giving it as well. Is that correct? Yes. So, you know, uh, for me, I enjoyed it a little more than World War Z. You're saying you enjoyed it just slightly less. So, But, it, you know, it appears our opinion is right on the same line as far as this film actually is concerned. 
IMDb, uh, the average from the users is 6.1 out of 10, so not doing quite as good. Uh, 47% of critics uh, like it and the rest dislike this film. That is considered rotten by the Rotten Tomato Meter if it's under 50%. Uh, 73% of the audience that have rated it, however, on Rotten Tomatoes likes it. And, you know, as far as my bottom line, I'd just say that it's a surprisingly satisfying summer action blockbuster and certainly worth seeing. Ditto. All right. Very good. Well, next week, uh, we will be talking about Despicable Me 2 and or The Lone Ranger. Are you up for uh, this doing this again? Yeah, definitely. I've had a good time. Okay. I know we had to do earlier today than normal, but would you be available at our at Movie Bites regular time or do we need to look at rescheduling that? I should be available at 6.30 next week. Cool. All right. So Despicable Me 2 and or The Lone Ranger will finalize the decisions for whether we do one or both of those films uh, as we get closer to next Wednesday. Uh, Chad, thanks for doing the show with me. Where where can people find your work online, keep up with you, follow you, and that sort of thing? Okay. I am on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. I am on Twitter Uh my handle is at Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. So you might want to put that in the show notes in case people didn't yeah, follow that. Yeah, yeah. I'll put, I'll put, uh, <laughs> I'm making a note right now, Chad's Twitter in the show notes. Okay, and uh, you know you can keep up with me too online. Uh, I, you know, obviously Twitter is the best way to follow me at uh, twitter.com slash Pro. You can subscribe to me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Draper. Uh, Facebook does have a option to subscribe to people's updates without becoming friends. Uh, so not that I don't want to be friends with you, but that's probably the best way to, <laughs> to keep up with me. If you want to do that on Facebook, um, you can find, uh, the writing and the work that I do at moviebyte.com. And, uh, you know what? You can find, uh, the show notes for this podcast at moviebyte.com slash MB podcast slash 50. You know, that's where you find the show notes. You can actually listen to it right there on the website. Um, and, uh, you know, also if you want to, uh, leave us a review in iTunes, that would be lovely. Uh, we do need the reviews and the ratings in order to be seen and heard by all. We want to take over the world with this podcast. <laughs> so, and I'm renewing my commitment to that, even though we've lost a co-host, even though he's abandoned us to the, uh, to the ether, uh, that's okay. We're going to, we're going to prove to him that we can be a good podcast without it. So, uh, that, that's it for this show. Uh, we will see you next week. Goodbye.